As I begin, just a one final quick reminder that tomorrow night is our next All Church uh, prayer gathering. Uh, so if you've been coming to those, or if you haven't been coming to those and would like to, tomorrow night from 7 to 8 right here in our main sanctuary, uh, we come together for an hour and just pray for uh, our church, our world. I'd love to have you there again tomorrow from 7 until 8. So now uh, let's take a moment and pause, just open ourselves up uh, to whatever it is that God wants to say to us through his scripture, opening our hearts and our minds to be receptive uh, to him. Amen. Do, do you ever do you ever just get the feeling that something isn't quite right? Oh, I mean, maybe maybe someone needs to say it. I, now, now I, I I come at this from I, I don't want to be negative, right? I, my life is is pretty good. Uh, I I enjoy being me. I hope you enjoy being you. But it it just seems like I, it, it just seems as though there is I don't know. A, a negative energy in the air. I may be embellishing a little bit, but why does it seem that everyone is angry, impatient? I was at a stoplight the other day and sitting there and the guy next to me just peels out and gets in front of me. I'm like, I'm in a minivan, man. Who cares? (laughs) Rude... As human beings, we're no longer allowed to disagree because if we disagree, then we're labeled something or called something and there's blame and so, such a lack of seemingly meaning and, and, and purpose and how I feel has replaced what is actually true and there's a weariness and, and blame and it seems as though sex and sexuality is constantly shoved in in, in my face and this mental fragmentation. And I don't point fingers because I feel some of this in myself. And maybe you feel some of it in, in yourself. Almost as if, as if from time to time I'm losing a small piece of my humanity. And so I wonder, it, is it failing? Is it, is it working? I, am I failing my children? Am I falling for lies? Why does it seem so many, so many are miserable? Aren't you glad you came to church today? It's encouraging. (laughs) So what is our response? What is my response as a a person of faith to all this? Is it anger? Exchange anger for anger. Is it fight? Is it fear? I love children. The honesty of children. Should have her come give the rest of this. It'd probably be more engaging. <laughs> now I don't think it's any of those things. I think as people of faith, the correct response is compassion. There's a story in the Gospel of Matthew, ch- chapter 9. Jesus is with some crowds. He's going to preach. And in the crowds, there's all kinds of people that day. There's Jews and Gentiles. Uh, there's men and women. There's prostitutes and woodworkers. There's people that are angry. There's people that are irritated. There's people that are weary. And we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them 
because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so if I'm going to be a person of, of compassion in the world that I live in, there's, there's something I need to get back. There's something I need to recover. I, I really need to recover my life, the, the God-given humanity that Jesus died for. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be in a series called Recovering Your Life. And the word recovery can mean a lot of things. Uh, in the world of addiction, recovery means you're, you, you, were, you were addicted to a substance or something and you're in recovery now, but that's not, not how I'm using it. I want to use the word recovery as in something has been lost and I want to get it back. I, I want to get back that which I was actually created for. So, so I want to go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, God creates the world. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the birds of the air, the animals of the ground, the plants, the trees. And then he creates man and woman, and he creates man and woman in his image and his likeness. And when he looks down at the man and the woman, the opinion that he has of his creation is that it is very good. What I have created is very good. But then, of course, there's the incident with the piece of fruit and getting kicked out of the garden and sinfulness entering into the world and brokenness and shame and all these things that God never intended. When we move into the New Testament, Jesus has come. Uh, the Son of God comes born as a baby. He, he leaves the hallways of heaven for for the brokenness of the earth and he lives among us and takes on humanity. And Jesus comes and he says in John chapter 10, he gives us his, his reason for being his purpose. He says, I, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. I've come that you may live abundantly. And so when I think about what it is that I want to get back, I want to, I want to get back that inherent goodness that was given to me in my creation and I want to get back to that abundant life that Jesus talked about. Life and life to the full. Now see, the Apostle Paul goes on to describe in the book of Galatians what it looks like to live that way. He says, when you're living that way, you're going to be full of, of love and joy, and peace. Oh, don't you want peace? Patience. Anybody impatient? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Like, I want that. I want to be that kind of person, and I want that for you. I want to be formed into that kind of human being. There's a passage in the book of Galatians chapter 4 that I've been wrestling with for months and months and months. The, the Apostle Paul in this book is writing to a small church in a city called Galatia. And it's a church that it's lost its way a bit. They, they, they spend some time, you know, trying to follow Christ and they go back into their old ways and they go back and forth, back and forth. And so the Apostle Paul's writing this letter with, with both a bit of compassion and some irritation, as you could hear in his words. And, and he's writing and he, and he says these words to the church as, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, I, I, I do think that it is a bit risky for a man to use the metaphor of childbirth to describe anything. Something I've never experienced, something we've never experienced. I, I have, however, been present for two childbirths. 
And so when I hear the words, I'm in the pains of childbirth, I at least have a a working idea of what that might mean. There is this strain, this desire to give birth to something beautiful and new that does come with it an element of pain. So when a child is born, there is this sense of newness, this, this new life. And so what the Apostle Paul is suggesting in this passage is that he, that he has this desire, not that we would simply become good people, nice people, not that we would simply be, be church people, but his desire is that something would be transformed in us so that we would be made brand new, transformed and created into the image and likeness of Christ. And so I read that and I, I have the same sense of urgency for myself and for all of us. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is often referred to as the miracle of transformation. Oh, when something's transformed, it is miraculous. When my kids were little, we had this uh, butterfly terrarium thing. I mean, their kids are older now, 20 and 15, but we, we got this butterfly terrarium and you, you get it and then you, you get this little coupon in it and you send the coupon in and then they mail you caterpillars in the mail, which I'm like, I could go get caterpillars out of my backyard, but these come with it. So they come and you put the caterpillars into this terrarium and there's branches in there. You're supposed to watch the caterpillar change and be transformed from the caterpillar to the butterfly, which I thought, is this really going to work? They came in the mail. I mean, I, I, but sure enough, we put them in and we watched them, <clears throat> and over time, the caterpillar climbed up on the branch and hung there and formed a chrysalis, which was, I think I got into it more than my children. It was fascinating to watch, and the caterpillar formed this chrysalis, and it hung there, and there's just something so crisp and clean about it, a chrysalis. And then, sure enough, after time, I started to see a transformation, and what emerged from the chrysalis was a butterfly, from an ugly caterpillar, this incredible butterfly. It's the miracle. It was a miracle, really, I, to see this, this happen before my eyes. So you see the metamorphosis of a butterfly and the transformation of a soul in the Bible come from the same root word. And so what it takes, I, I think, to get to that kind of place, to be formed into the image of Christ, in which we do experience the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control of life. It's not perfect, of course, because perfection's never guaranteed. But what it takes is a desire. Because I can create the environment for this to happen. Just like I created the environment for the caterpillar to turn into the butterfly. I create the environment, but, but the work of transformation is, is almost a supernatural trust and the power and work of God's Holy Spirit, which does, in fact, begin with an exquisite invitation from Jesus. I want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. This is from the Message Translation. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You see, within this, I think, I think Jesus is asking the question that nobody's asking, which is this. How is it with your soul? You ever had someone ask you that question? I mean, I suppose when, when, when church is over today, you're going to walk out into the lobby and you're going to see someone you know. You're going to walk up to him, maybe shake hands, give him a hug, and you're going to say, hey, how's it going? But I bet you, you don't really want to know the answer to that question because the answer to that question might mean a longer conversation than you're prepared for because you're hungry, right? But if someone were to ask you, how is it with your soul? That's kind of a penetrating question, really. There's not an easy answer to that. And so Jesus essentially is asking, how is it with your soul? Are you Are you tired? Overused, strained, stressed out. How is it with your soul? Are you worn out? The World Health Organization has now deemed burnout as a medical diagnosis. Anxiety and depression are up 25% globally, which is a large, a large number. We've even created something that's referred to as hurry sickness because we're always in such a rush. We're always hurrying and rushing from one thing to the next that we're making ourselves sick. You're tired, you're worn out. I love, I love the book, The Hobbit. In The Hobbit, the main character is Bilbo Baggins and there's a scene in which Bilbo Baggins is, is just a little tired, he's worn out. And he says this, He says, I feel like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. Like I can almost feel that. You ever feel like butter that's been scraped over too much bread? You're tired, you're worn out. Jesus goes, are you burned out on religion? I think that was an interesting question because in Jesus' day, religion had become a heavy burden. A burden so complex that it was wearing people out. I think in the same way, religion of our day, and I can only speak for, for Christianity, but it's, it's so often filled with oughts and shoulds, and we ought and should ourselves to death, and I ought to do this, I should do more, and I should go to church more, I should read the Bible more, I ought to stop doing that, I ought to stop drinking as much, I ought to... Oh, it's a lot. And so Jesus comes, and he asks a fairly reflective question. How is it with your soul? When was the last time you actually stopped and examined and took a look into what's really going on in the inside. I mean, what is it that I'm really striving for? What is it that I'm settling for? Oh, I, I get it. I, I've spent a lot of my life striving and settling. And one time my wife asked me the question. She said, Mike, you're doing all this stuff, but who are you trying to impress? And I couldn't think of anybody. What is it doing to me? What are the exchanges? Because all of life is a choice, really. We exchange one thing for another, and we can say, I don't have time, I'm too busy, but that's a choice, really. Well, it's a hard choice, but it is a choice. And so I, 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 I compare that to, to the times I'm, I have these conversations, and I hear things like, but you know, Mike, I just want to go deep in my faith. 
going to go deep in my spiritual life. And I think I would go deeper in my spiritual life if you would just preach deeper sermons. As if that would solve everything. Years ago, I, I took a trip to Florida with my, my brothers. We, we went down to the Keys to go snorkeling with our kids. If you like the beach, then you know that the sand and the palm trees, the ocean's beautiful, particularly at sunrise and sunset. I just, I love, I love being there at sunrise and sunset because I burn easy. And so during the day, I'm like scared of the sun, but at sunrise and sunset, I know I'm not going to burn. And I just, the beauty of it, the sun coming up or, or setting over the ocean and the colors. And it's just, it's gorgeous, really. It's very tranquil and peaceful. So we get to the beach and we see this scene, but then we get in a boat and we go two miles out to this reef. And the captain of the boat gets us to this reef. We put on our stuff, and then his job was over. He's like, all right, get in. I'll let you know when it's time. If you think the surface of the ocean is beautiful, when you, when you jump in with a mask on, and you see what's in a reef, stunning. It's breathtaking. I don't even like to swim, but I was under there for hours just looking at the beauty of creation, and what is on the surface could not compare to what was below. What is on the surface of your spiritual life is nothing compared to what happens in the depths. But, but here's, here's a startling reality. The boat captain could only do so much. He drove me to the spot, but then he said, okay. Now it's up to you. You need to jump in. You need to jump into the water. And oh, it was, it was a cold day. It was 68 degrees, which that's too cold for me. But I jumped in anyway, and what I saw was mesmerizing. Oh, we, we like to say things like, I want to go deeper in my faith, but, you know, I just... God, Pastor Mike, you just need to preach deeper sermons so I can go deeper in my faith. And to that I say, I can only take you so far. Any pastor in any church can only take you so far. There is some point that we make the choice to jump in for ourselves and take a little responsibility for our, our own spiritual life. Because I would have never experienced the beauty of what's below the surface of the ocean had I not chosen to jump in, had I not chosen to respond to the invitation. And so see... We have this opportunity to respond to Jesus' invitation of transformation by keeping company with him. Jesus says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I mean, do you realize who you keep company with matters? What you let into your soul matters? I think keeping company with Jesus is the most important thing, the most important work I do in my life because everything flows out of it. When I keep company with Jesus, I'm a better dad. When I keep company with Jesus, I'm a better husband. When I keep company with Jesus, I'm a a better employee. When I keep company with Jesus, I'm a better friend. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, Jesus has sent out his apostles and they're, they're doing all this great work in the community. They're healing people, they're working miracles, they're excited. And they read that the, the apostles have gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. To which I say, if you don't, if you don't have a chance to eat, 
you're too busy, right? They didn't have a chance to eat. And so Jesus said, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me and extend a little bit of kindness to your soul. I think the invitation is the same for us. Extend a little kindness to your soul. Keep company with Jesus. I mean, maybe it's as simple as when you get up in the morning, just spend five or ten minutes with him in whatever way makes sense for you. Maybe it's just sitting quietly in his presence. Maybe it's reading the scriptures. I don't know, but but start the day keeping company with Jesus. And as you and as you drive to school or to work or drive the kids wherever you take them, turn off talk radio because it makes you mad anyway. And it's just and just be in silence or listen to worship music or do something that takes you into the company of Jesus. And as you go throughout your day, whatever it is you're doing, every once in a while, take a pause, even a one minute pause. And just say, God, I'm grateful. Just keep company with Jesus. And as you end your day, regardless of what happened, end your day by expressing some sense of gratitude towards the creator of life. And by doing so, you keep company with Jesus. And when we keep company with him, we do learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus said, learn the unforced rhythms of grace and I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. You ever put on something that didn't fit right? When you put on something that doesn't fit right, it's uncomfortable and you look ridiculous. When I was when I was younger, every Christmas we would go to my grandmother's house in the Black Rock neighborhood of Buffalo and all my family would, would be there. Aunts, uncles, cousins all come together. And one of my aunts was a nun. Like, you know, a nun, Catholic nun. And her name was Sister Agnes Joseph. I loved her. She was spunky. She was fun. She was funny. Uh, she was, she lived in a convent. She was in her 80s. And her job in her 80s was to take care of the old nuns, which I said, how old are the old nuns if you're taking care of the, if you're the young nun? Every Christmas she would, would come and uh, she would buy us gifts. They would do a, like a bazaar uh, in her convent and they would sell crafts and gifts and she would always buy us gifts which was kind because she was a nun she didn't have any money but she did think of us so this particular christmas i have in mind i'm now in college i'm probably 20 or 21 and my brother jeremy is 19 or 20 and she gets us these these gifts she gets us these sweaters from the the convent and i don't know if she didn't realize that we'd grown or if she lost Side of things, but I'm you know I'm I'm five nine at the time probably weigh one sixty. My brother's six three, uh, and she buys us these sweaters that were probably made to fit a ten year old girl. And so we get these things, and you know we're twenty years old, we're a couple of jerks, and so we we put them on. And my bro- I mean my brother's like this because he's so tall, and I look at him and say, "You look like Lurch." I mean what and. We just can't stop laughing and my aunt is sitting there and my mom got so mad at us because we couldn't stop laughing. And I, we took a picture of it and I wanted to show it to you but I couldn't find it. It was, it was just, I know it's disappointing, I tried. Uh, but, but we looked ridiculous. They were so tight and so uncomfortable trying to force those things on. Forced religion always fails. You just look, look over the course of, religion, of history Every time religion is forced on someone, it always fails. And people get hurt and it feels terrible. See, Jesus comes and he says, 
in the midst of a very religious society, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, which made a lot of sense in Jesus' time because in Jesus' time, teachers and rabbis had an interpretation of the scriptures that they called their yoke. Their yoke was their, their teaching. And Jesus comes and says, my yoke, my teaching is easy and it's light. It's not heavy and it's not ill-fitting and you'll find rest for your soul. Oh, I want that. Because I've spent a lot of my life striving the other direction. I was, I was in a ministry years ago. I was a pastor and I had some leaders and elders that were, would, would from time to time come up to me and they would say to me something like, you know, Pastor Mike, doing a great job, you know, we know you love God, but you're just not quite there yet. I would say, what is that? I said, what do you mean by that? They said, oh, you'll know when you're there. And I could never seem to find this mythical place called there. I could never seem to get there. And so as a result, I spent a lot of time beating myself up and trying to force something on myself that didn't fit. Because see, what Jesus is offering is a lifelong invitation in response to, to the unforced rhythms of grace that transforms us from the inside out, causing the natural result of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So I ask you this morning, how is it with your soul? Am I being transformed by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit into something new? Or am I trying to force an ill-fitting religion on myself that's never actually worked throughout the history of everything? Oh, we can create the space, but God does the work. So as you leave today, maybe extend a little bit of kindness to your soul. Be careful what you let into your soul. And maybe create an awareness that that God is here. He loves you. He died for you. And all he asks is that we come to him. I know we're still a few months away from Christmas, but it's coming. It's going to start snowing any day. Christmas is coming. We'll start singing our Christmas carols, and there's one... Carol, I love it in particular. It's called Oh Holy Night. You probably love it too. It's a classic. But there's a line in, in that song as it talks about this holy night. And the line goes, and a weary world rejoices. I love that line. Are we giving the world, a weary world, something to rejoice over? Am I... Am I so transformed into the image of Christ that when I step out into the something's not quite rightness of the world, that I offer something better? I want, I want the people around me to know more what it is that I'm for than what it is that I'm against. Oh, I suppose there are things I'm against, but I want the world to know what it is that I'm for. And I'm for the transformative power of Christ. And what would the world look like if the Christian church committed to that kind of transformation, not just for ourselves, but for the goodness of humanity? Shining light into the something's not quite rightness of our world. I want that, God.
I want that for me. I want that for us. I want to continually be transformed, continually experiencing the unforced rhythms of grace as I take your your way on me that's easy and light. Would you change me, O oh God, from the inside out? And let me just exude love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. Amen.